it is a spot where my responsibility and Sada's responsibility is to plug into companies on all of the different levels of maturity, different positions in the market. Do you already have millions of customers and you're trying to figure out how to serve them digitally? Are you trying to figure out how to get to your first million customers? Both of them have a path to value that runs through public cloud. Being part of a service industry means truly serving clients wherever they are in their journey. For Miles Ward, the CTO of Sada, he definitely brings that mentality to his work. Listen in to hear Miles break down how companies are making strides by utilizing Google Cloud and how it is super helpful for an engineer to also have great communication skills. Plus, I bet you'll never guess what instrument Miles really enjoys playing. Enjoy that and more on this episode right now, IT Visionaries. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionary. Today, we have a special guest. He is the CTO of a company called Sada. Miles Ward, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. I deeply appreciate that. I am the CTO at Sada. It is an incredible place. I'm excited to be here together with you today. All right. For our audience that may not know, if you check out Sada's website, you'll see that they serve 4,000 customers. So this is a massive company. But for our audience who may not know, what is Sada? What do you guys specialize in? Sure. SADA is the shortest path to value for companies trying to extract value from Google Cloud. Google Cloud has hundreds, nope, thousands, nope. It's about 86,000 distinct SKUs. It's all kinds of products, but it, each of them are designed to help SaaS businesses, technology companies, small businesses, medium businesses, huge enterprises be successful in their move to more advanced technology. So SADA is the number one provider for that help. You know, somebody's got to help you do that stuff. Wait a second. And I want to re make sure we hear it clearly. You said 86,000 SKUs? Yeah, I built the pricing calculator for Google <laughs> Cloud when I worked there. And so I am intimately familiar with those awful SKUs. But uh, there, it's small, actually, potatoes, because Amazon did this totally insane version of, of SKU management for instance type. So they have over 200,000. Uh, but yes. There are lots of products in these cloud platforms. Now, give us a little background and history for your company and also yourself, because we, of course, want to dive into where you are today. Because sure. you know, to understand that, we want to know where you came from. Was the company always founded on this idea that we that they would support Google Cloud, which is weird to say because clouds themselves aren't really that old. <laughs> right. We, we've been at it uh, 21 years, coming up on 22 years shortly. And so cloud... Uh, was just a twinkle in Urza's eye uh, at that point. Urza is the CTO uh, or really SVP of technical infrastructure for Google. Um, so no, it, we couldn't do that. What we were doing was technical support for small businesses, helping them get an office set up, making their email systems work reliably, building their first websites. But as our team members were first exposed uh, because because they were just very interested in technology and what was happening to that, remember the yellow box, the search appliance box? We were the first nutty company that said, hey, we'd love to help you sell those. We, we think that's a great innovation for customers. So we were the first enterprise partner for this fledgling part of Google that was even talking to customers at all, right? Most of the product is ads and search and maps and these other building blocks. Yeah. Well, as they started to bring more and more of those tools out as commercial offerings to customers, SADA was there said, okay, you want to start making it so that there are apps for your domain, which is what it was originally called. Then they called it Google Apps. Now they call it Workspace, right? That evolution, we went along on that ride as the earliest 
team members collaborating with customers to help them take advantage of all these tools. And there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to run a services company. Some is to, you know, support many, many different providers. You guys, it sounds like you guys were, you're all in on one now. Was it always that vision? Like you guys are going to always be all in on this or has there ever been someone say, Hey, we want to expand our portfolio of services. When we started right before Google had any of these offers, if I'm going to help somebody in their office, uh, I'm using windows, right? Like Microsoft was a really material way of doing this stuff. And we built a great Microsoft practice. We successfully sold that practice three years ago uh, to core BTS. They've done a great job with it. And that business, I think, is is growing in a healthy way. It is not growing in as healthy a way as Sada <laughs> is, because frankly, my job is to make incredibly hard to keep promises to customers. Your system has to work reliably. It has to be secure. It has to be cost efficient. It has to make it so your developers' lives are easier, that your operations people's lives are easier. Uh, those are big promises. And Google is the one that makes it easy for me to keep those promises. Yeah. So it was very, very useful to be single threaded, to be able to go, okay, we're all in. We're shoving all the chips. Google has the best tools here. I've been in the data centers for all three. I worked at Google. I worked at Amazon. I sold stuff to Microsoft. The ones on Google are Star Trek, Enterprise, crazy stuff. I'm happy to talk war stories all day long about all the differences between those environments and everybody else's. And those differences matter. Yeah. Like they have a real effect in the outcomes for customers. Well, this is a perfect transition to the story because of course you came from Google, you have worked at all the major clouds, Yeah. but you chose Sada knowing that it was an all-in Google shop. Specifically, what were some of the product innovations or service innovations that you saw that made you say, I want to use these tools? Because it's one thing to like build. So like, you know, you kind of mentioned before you were on the pricing side. So, you know, I'd love to understand a little bit more about your role there. But it's one thing to be like building a product, you know what I'm saying? And thinking about like leveraging services to like build even more sure. products, which I'm assuming the latter is what got you really fired up to be like, hey, this is where I really want to sit because now you have so many more projects. <laughs> I think you'd be you'd be a little surprised at the trajectory. So uh, let's do the sort of cloud sequence. I start at AWS. There are a total of 160 people there. Revenue is about $50 million that year. Wow. Uh, we haven't launched EBS yet. We haven't launched VPC. It's one core or two core virtual machines, whichever kind you want, one or two. That's that's all we've got. And I spend a huge majority of my time explaining to companies that they could use this for more than hosting websites, which of course has proven true. We spent a bunch of cycles building some of the largest customer engagements there, migrating massive systems. I led a relationship uh, with the Obama campaign, their deployment onto GCP in 2012. I helped live stream the Curiosity rover landing at NASA. We did we did some big heavy lifting product work. And as a result, and proposed a bunch of products and services and got those built. So like the little uh, light bulb that comes on trusted advisor in AWS that says, you know, hey, you should turn those EBS volumes off. You're not using them. That's the, I proposed that product. So that made it so that Amazon got bigger. It got like 120 times bigger, right? Uh, <laughs> billions of dollars in revenue. So I, I joined Google where there was like 120 people in cloud and about like 60 million bucks in revenue. And uh, uh, and then and there were some like product gaps and things that had to be added. So I proposed a bunch of products and like, we made it bigger. It, you're going to hear it got about 100 times bigger. And I had a great time. I hired a team of 80 people. It was awesome. At every one of those transitions in every major company, you get to a spot, especially in technology companies, especially in software companies, where the part that seems hard to justify is having enough people to help customers be successful. Because this 
is too hard. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> cloud remains too hard. So I was always in charge of the teams that were the advanced people, the solutions architects, the, the technical engineers, the customer engineers, whatever label you want to have that help customers hands-on, for real, dive in, new use case, new capability, and make them successful. So Google got big enough where now it's teams for that were getting more complicated. I looked over at Sada. There's about 100 people. And <laughs> the pattern uh, repeats. <laughs> and they're, 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 they're kind of like fired up about helping customers. And, and I can dive in with, with companies and help them take the sort of next step. Uh, and Sada's gotten bigger. Our GCP practice is over 100 times bigger than when I started. So it's a place where my role in businesses is to help them help their customers, to help customers be incredibly successful. That, that absolutely depends on A-grade superstar technicians who can dive in with customers hands-on right now, make it so that things work, plus all of the other support. You've got to have people that can help you run down a ticket and sort out your bill and figure out the contracts and deal with all of the complexity that is consuming what for many companies is their largest single vendor relationship, right? Like if you're a startup, you pay people and you pay cloud and kind of that's it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like everything yeah. else is like, you know, Oh, you know, occasionally we buy people phones and laptops. Like that's a small rounding error comparison. So it's really important that they're getting that relationship. Right. And uh, that's where I've been focused. So, you know, one of the interesting things is of course you sit now in a place where you're now helping, like you said, 4,000 or more customers build, integrate solutions Give us an idea of what people are leaning on organizations like yourselves. Like, what are they trying to accomplish? What are the new things that people are trying to, you know, of course, each project is slightly unique, but I'd love to hear some like the general concepts people are really pushing into and wanting to, and how you see this changing the world for us as like consumers, uh, because you guys work with a ton of consumer companies that are pushing probably the, the boundaries of innovation far beyond what we're like currently thinking about. Yeah, totally. So I, I think uh, I wrote a blog post a while ago, uh, uh, you know, horribly abusing uh, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think there's this Miles Lowe's hierarchy <laughs> of needs. That's just a terrible pun. Uh, but but technology of all types sort of steps up this viability ladder to a place where it sort of disappears. Right. Like my laptop does have files on it, but I know that they're automatically replicated and backed up to Google across the world. All 20 years ago, that's an utterly manual, physical, laborious process. Mm -hmm. It takes real time. So every technology moves from almost impossible to do to basically invisible mm -hmm. over time in terms of ease of use. And every company benefits from that transition. So and it depends on where you are in, in your path toward most modern states. So some of this has to do with kind of the age of the company. If you're a big enterprise, you own five data centers, you've got a bunch of VMware. I'm plugging into companies and going, look, like, let's move your VMware hosts out of the bare metal. That's maybe three, five, seven, ooh, nine, ten. Some people have really old gear. Let's put that <laughs> in Google Cloud. It'll run more efficiently. Now you have somebody else on the shared security model side, somebody else on the operations, they do procurement, they do physical management. Now there's less work for your ops team to do. They can go work on other harder parts of the problem, basically higher value parts of the problem than making sure that the procurement order to get the next hard drive shows up on time, right? Like let's make the cloud providers who are buying billions and billions of dollars <laughs> worth of this gear handle that problem at scale. If you've got that part sorted out, okay, what are the biggest consumers of that infrastructure? Most of the time that's databases, data warehouses. Let's look at managed offerings for that. How do you get to a place where you can offload to Google the operations for your database? Like those are, that's a 
scary piece of work. It's a place where a lot of businesses bear a lot of risk. Okay, your databases work awesome and your applications, your commercial software is working great. Let's talk about your development practice. Are you building software? How much of it? What is it being used for? How do I make that efficient? How do I make it reliable and consistent? How do I reduce the level of effort that it takes to build a piece of software, to deploy it, keep it operational? Once you got that working, what kind of software are you building? Right now you're building like rules-based automation linearly for individual customer requests. What if we teach you a little ML stuff? Let's get you to a place where you can build automatic categorization, inferred logic for customer workflows, all the kind of automatic categorization stuff that really has to be done. If you're already doing that, okay, let's talk about how you bring that to a global audience. Let's talk about how you connect to a more diverse set of customers, right? So in terms of, uh, you know, that's why cloud is so exciting for me is, uh, you know, and maybe it's just a part of it having that many different SKUs. There's a lot of stuff that it does. And I think for a lot of companies, they don't have one or two of those. And that's the only problem at the whole company. <laughs> Instead, they have all of them. Of course they have all yeah. of them. And they need workspace and they need a map system to work right. Their Chrome thing needs to be managed. Somebody's got to sort out how it is that they, all of those pieces are a part of the coverage that SADA provides to help companies be holistically successful with the whole platform instead of an individual point solution to this like one broken database app, right? Like that's just break fix and it's not a strategic relationship. So we, we're trying to build a really beneficial strategic relationship with customers. No, I think you just revealed the simple roadmap to what like a lot of like a lot of cloud shifts. The question starts with, well, what do we start with? I think you just you just laid that out for all the people that are not moved to the cloud. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, like, and, and it's a different journey for different groups, right? So like you're a big enterprise, you know, you probably are starting somewhere along that cadence. If you're a brand new, like you started this week, I've got a bunch of customers that, uh, you know, that just took their early angel rounds from Y Combinator or from 500 startups, right? Those folks, they're going to start on a modern platform, mm -hmm. right? Like they're building a Flutter app on Firebase, uh, right? They don't, they don't have any, what do you mean servers? What do you mean instances? I don't do any of that stuff, but they need to bolt on new features and capabilities to that platform really fast. They need to deploy it globally. They need to, all of a sudden as they get bigger, they're going to have to cost manage it. They're going to have to do, start to do the things that the enterprises are actually pretty good at. How do I get to security and compliance? How do I make it so that my CFO has any idea what's happening inside of these things? How do I get to a place where I can report quarterly on our cost profile? How do, right? Like enterprises, when you sell them cloud, they have all that stuff sorted out in many cases. It's the startups that want to earn some of the behaviors enterprises have. So it's, it's both of them are trying to impersonate each other. They, they need, they need what each other lacks. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the, the unique thing that, that you have a seat to, you know, I'd love to dive into a little bit is like, sure. You mentioned before the pace of innovation, the, what these products are unlocking, you know? So now that companies are moving to the cloud, which by the way, I read a report that says uh, it was something like the world's workloads. It's still estimated that less than 30, 30% 30 of the world's workloads are in the cloud yet, which seems mind-boggling. Well, small is. What do you think on that number? Yeah, so I, I think it's definitely less than 30%. Less than 30%. And, <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's something like less than 9% of the dollars. So do that math, right? If it's in cloud, <laughs> you're getting three times the workload value as a function of dollars. Everybody saddle up, right? Like, uh, we, it's uh, it's critical to recognize how much of this stuff is still, uh, you know, effectively undermanaged as closed source commercial software stuck in typically in licensing constraints in more so than sort of technical constraints. 
right? I remember buying a product, which is now long gone called autonomy for my startup and autonomy would work on any computer you wanted, but it would only ever and exclusively consume exactly two processing cores and exactly eight gigabytes of memory. And if you gave it any more or any less than that, it didn't care. It would just not work. Uh, so, uh, and the licenses said you had to enumerate the, you know, the, uh, Mac number on the NIC and other sort of hardware attestation components in order to be able to turn the software on at all. <laughs> well, cloud, cloud makes that harder. So if you've got, you know, a hundred different industries in which there are 10,000 different ISVs, you know, it's a pretty, you know, I think right now in the Google marketplace, there's, uh, maybe less than a thousand distinct ISVs. So there's, you know. There's your tenfold increase that's still got to happen. Got to get all the rest of the software on there. It's pretty crazy, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like it's it's weird to think about how big can the TAM be. You know what I mean? You're, we're already saying it's it's more than ten times bigger than what it is today. Yeah. Because every new it's trillions and trillions. Yeah. It's many trillions of dollars. It's going to unlock even more things. You know and that, and that's what I wanted to get into next. It's like you know you you got a really cool seat. Obviously, overseeing all these companies moving to cloud, building new services, adding new features potentially to product services that you and I as consumers consume. What are some of like the, where are some of the arenas of innovation where you're like, man, this is really exciting. What's happening in this space. What are you seeing? That's extremely exciting. Some of the things that some, maybe some of your customers are trying to unlock using some of these services. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think there's sort of two dimensions of exciting. <laughs> One of them is like you're saying kind of net new capabilities that, that just seem sort of utterly out of reach. So super, super excited about, uh, you know, the performance, like one of our uh, machine learning based customers, a company called Quillbot, they're making it so that you can, you know, it sounds easy, automatically summarize and paraphrase text, right? But like, how many times do you read a description for a colorful dress or a shirt, right? Like I could describe this as a black shirt with white polka dots or yeah. a black dress shirt with white hash marks or, you know, however you, you know, a evenly spaced field of stars on a black, right? Like, so there is an enormous commercial opportunity associated with describing all of the stuff, right? So Dali is making it so you can take a description and turn it into art. Quillbot is letting you take mm. descriptions and turn them into each of the different sizes and shapes that marketers need to be able to articulate themselves, right? Like the, the unload of work associated with that. And on their side, that's, TensorFlow modeling, it's tensor processing units and GPUs to be able to accelerate that modeling. It's crazy data integration. But for the end customer, it's like put text in box, get awesome text back in the other box, high five yourself, hook that up to an API, do it a million times if you want. Like that ease of use on the far side of some of these products is nuts. I mean, Carvana is a great customer. I don't know if you've ever had a friend that's bought a car through that. The experience is it's radically different, right? Like even talking about buying a car at a dealership, it's like, hold on, we're gonna get the paperwork. You have your pen with you. Like, I wanna see numbers. Like, let me talk uh, to you, the you're manager. You're gonna have to come back tomorrow. <laughs> I gotta talk to a manager. This is like clickety clickety click. It does financing in line. It does uh, like your all your warranties, all that stuff auto targeted, specific to you, narrow to your use case, narrow to the car you're looking at, all the rest of it, right? Carvana is the third fastest company to the Fortune 500 after Alphabet and Google. <laughs> or sorry, Alphabet and Amazon. So like, it's just used cars. Yeah. I think every major industry is all of them, every single one, when you bring a tech first company to bear against that problem space, will out innovate any company that cannot. 
convert itself very quickly to being a tech-based company in that market space. So we also, of course, work like dominoes, right? Like if you put a dollar in Domino's stock at the same time you could put a dollar in Google stock, you make more on the Domino's stock. Are you ready for that? <laughs> really? Like, huh? yeah, I saw that. Like, I saw that explosive growth. Yes. Yeah, I've seen like, that on finance blogs. Aren't they a pizza company? Right. But if I go and talk to Domino's leadership, are they? No, they're not a pizza company. They're a tech company that happens to ship pizza. <laughs> right. And that is a real Netflix isn't a movie company. They're a tech company that happens to let people show movies. And the further version of that, Adrian Cockcroft says Netflix is a log generation machine, <laughs> which happens to allow people to watch movies occasionally. Right. So, uh, you know, all operations, people are crying about the number of logs that those people have to produce. Uh, so it, it is a spot where uh, you know, my responsibility and Sada's responsibility is to plug into companies on all of the different levels of maturity, different positions in the market. Do you already have millions of customers and you're trying to figure out how to serve them digitally? Are you trying to figure out how to get to your first million customers? Both of them have a path to value that runs through public cloud. And if it's too hard, they won't get there. So our job is making it easier. And how about for yourselves? Because in order to manage this portfolio of services that you currently have, are you guys actively building solutions yourselves to be like, hey, we need to build a solution just to manage our our use case? You know, obviously you guys have your own unique use cases. Are you in the business of building your own applications still for yourselves or do you just rely on other services now? We do build uh, quite a lot of our own. Uh, a lot of it is we try to dual purpose, right? So there was an internal uh, joke service at Google called MemeGen, which is like, <laughs> It's literally the beating zeitgeist of the company. If Sundar's on stage telling everybody you don't get a phone this Christmas for the Christmas part present, every Googler is logged into meme gen trying to figure out what the very best way to burn Sundar is in a meme, right? <laughs> and they all get voted on. So you can figure out who is the sort of Colin McMillan-esque superhero that has created the snarkiest possible thing and success. You're now like, you know, Google inter intranet famous for a day. So like... I, I think that should be in workspace. Like that's just, a, that's a killer feature. Like I, docs is adorable, <laughs> but that's the real like path breaking innovation for customer productivity. So uh, we built a clone of it, right? Like why not? But, and, and like, it's okay to like build a little app. It's not a complicated app, but I also want to demonstrate uh, Anthos, which is this Kubernetes management technology that's a built into Google. So our version of meme gen runs on AWS and GCP and Azure and a box on the rack to the left of me and a buddy of mine's in India and another buddy in Chicago. It's load balanced across all of them. Every time you go to the meme gen cluster, you get a different instance, right? That's the kind of infrastructure design that customers are trying to emulate as they get to a viable path to, especially in the enterprise layer, to, to real multi-cloud. So I'll build an app for our own purposes and our own demos and stuff we want to do, but, but I want to get two for one out of it. That makes sense. And then for yourself, like when you think about what are some of like, I guess, the challenges that are unique to you guys, because this is pretty cool that you guys, you know, the way I describe it is you're obviously helping companies use all of the GPCP services, yeah. but you also have a business to run and you have your own requirements. Sure. I don't know how, like, for example, I don't know how many concurrent projects you have cooking at any given time. I don't know if you use it. Yeah. I don't know if you use someone else's project manager. You're like, I got to build my own because what we're tracking, these other companies don't want to track. How do you think about like scaling? How are you going to keep being the leader of services? What are, what do you guys still need to unlock, I guess, doing this? Because it's, it's a pretty unique seat you have. Yeah, there's, there's a couple different portions of that. One is, you know, I, 
I think a lot about scaling is figuring out which people are wearing more than one hat and how do you have one person for each hat? <laughs> uh, so, right, like, like you have solutions architects who also end up kind of being technical sellers, who also kind of project manage, who also sort of figure out the infrastructure architecture, who also sort of figure out like the customer value proposition. Eh, okay, that's five different teams now, right? And over time you get to teams like that per vertical, teams like that per sort of customer segment, teams like that per geography. Oh, wow. Like if I multiply out the distinct technical skills, the distinct verticals that they're applicable to, the distinct geographies I want to do work in, uh, we're already at 10,000 people, right? No wonder the big services agencies are so damn big. Um, But uh, that's one part of it. Another part of it is all of the internal machinery to make it so that something like that's even remotely efficient. So at the beginning, you like hand write every SOW for every customer <laughs> and like hope that they like it. And, and, you know, like so now there's a whole template engine and we're, you know, battle testing different configurations of that to see which ones have the sort of highest performance with customers. Also, you know, e- extending more automatic approvals on our side for the kind of gives and gets that happen in the negotiations with customers. That's a, that's a part of it. You also have an incredibly rapidly growing internal repository of automation tooling. Yeah. Right? Like we're a big Terraform shop, right? Like you got to write code like wild. And thankfully, even though it's 86,000 SKUs, we have gotten a couple of projects <laughs> where the same thing has happened, right? Like <laughs> it, it, uh, when I started, we had done, I think 48, I saw 48 SOWs that we had completed in GCP. I was like, ooh, that's not enough. Okay. And uh, and started to, and I was like, ooh, maybe we'll be able to like cluster these into a pattern. I read all 48, no two of them the same. No two of them even remotely the same. Yeah. So, okay. But now with over 900 completed paid professional services projects just in the last two years, there is some repetition. So we built a thing called SADA Power where I can just take, rather than me interviewing you about what maybe ought to go in that SOW or... Uh, you know, kind of doing an open discovery process with you to sort of figure out what would be most valuable. I just sort of show you a bunch of the SOWs I've done with other customers that have worked. Like, do you, is this kind of like what you want? (laughs) How about we just sort of go down uh, a somewhat more well, and then then it's fast. I can do it today. We can cut people loose really quickly and we can reserve the more, uh, you know, frankly, senior and expensive folks for the custom weird path breaking stuff that some companies really need. So that's what I want to ask you about next, because we had someone, uh, Will Granis, office of the CTO at Google. Good buddy of mine. Sounds like, so he was talking about some of the most, you know, that when his company where his group gets involved in a project, it's usually like the most aspirational, inspirational, like how in the world did we build this kind of project? Yep. And of course, then you also have customers like, how do I move my database to the cloud? So, you know, I'm assuming, where do you spend most of your time on? Do you spend more time on the scaling operational requirements of the business or do you like spending your time on those like big moonshot projects because those moonshot projects sound fun but sometimes they don't have an answer (laughs) so here here is the answer and and i love will and i love his team and what they do in customers is nothing short of miraculous and it's so great that they're able to do that to a hundred or so companies a year yeah there are hundreds of thousands of companies there you go (laughs) so i do exactly the same thing I bring the same caliber of engineers. I bring the same level of focus and creativity for more companies than a hundred, right? And <laughs> if I go down into a company that doesn't make their list because they're not gigantic, huge, or they don't already have Sundar's phone number, or they don't have a brand everybody recognizes or whatever it looks like. If I tell the leadership, right, like 
I sat together with the folks at Newstar, incredible company, doing all sorts of integration work, uh, run a massive 22 petabyte Hadoop cluster, right? Different data centers, different AWS. The project they want to take on, it's just as much of a moonshot as the folks at UPS. They just put out a case study together with Google. That's one of Will's team's big executions. Yeah. It's $400 million in savings a year for UPS. <laughs> New start, like it's crazy, right? New start's like, I want to do that. I'm like, we're already doing it, right? Like you're, that's how much the kind of savings as a function of your size as a company you're earning as a result of what we're doing, right? So it's, it is that model scaled that is the critical path forward. And there is, yes, there are really small companies where for them, it's still a moonshot. If I could get off my VMware and onto containers, that's a life changer for my developers it's the most important thing my company can do this year. If I don't treat every customer project like the moonshot that it is for them, then I'm doing them a total disservice. That's the way that SADA feels different than interacting other ways. No, I respect that, but I respect that a ton. I've I've always cheered for any company that, well, I call them SMBs, but like I always, I cheer for anyone who helps the everyman, right? Because otherwise only the top if every company only focused on the the top, let's like you said, the top 100, then all innovation would be like locked into just those handful of companies. Well, and look, man, it's selfish. Let's be real. The stats that I've got say that companies on cloud grow revenue 53% faster than the companies that aren't. And if I look at the growth rates unassisted of startups, they're already quite fast. Yeah. So if I can bring the kind of focus and intensity, the experience, the creativity, the collaboration, and frankly, the investment that everybody would not argue with to go, yeah, we should go help Coke or Pepsi or yeah. Sprite or, you know, like, yeah, we, we should help Ford. Like, we should help these giant companies. If I do that same kind of thing with a startup, I'll make the bet. Yeah. That's what I'm actively betting. Like, I think my growth rate is going to win. And so far it is. So uh, I think I'm right. Miles. Now you've been you've been an awesome guest, and your passion is just palpable. You know, most technical leaders aren't big like uh, big. I don't know how to describe it. Big personalities. <laughs> have you always been like that? Have you, or did they yeah. teach you how to like do more public speaking, or have you always been a uh, more energetic guy? Yeah, I kind of came out of the factory this way. Um, there, there is, you know, I certainly get periods of time where I need a, a weekend to stay at home in the command line and get useful things done. But it's a big part of helping all of the engineers that I work with be successful for them to be as well-rounded as they can to, to be able to interact with customers, to be able to articulate the value of what they've constructed, uh, and to, to be able to ask good questions. You've done a great job, I think, of kind of helping us better understand, uh, you know, or helping your audience better understand what SADA does, because it does depend on being able to thoughtfully think through what's actually happening and ask the right kinds of questions. So it's um, those skills, those skills pay just as much as the next cert on Kubernetes. I promise. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Miles, dude, it was awesome having you on the show, explaining what Sada does, explaining how uh, how you guys approach problems. And I love what you said earlier in the conversation, which was regarding software. It's like it starts off almost impossible, and then it becomes almost in, it, it becomes barely visible. And that's how I think of technologies: like the things that I don't actively have to do. We're going to do the lightning round a little bit differently today. We always okay. do a lightning round at the end where we ask questions to get to know you outside of the world of work. Sure. Uh, but I'm going to layer in a little bit of work because I have some ideas. Uh, before we get started, Miles, 
The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Miles, how close is this to becoming barely visible? Ready? Sure. Here's some impossible tasks. I've been writing them as you've been talking. Sure. <laughs> All right. The world of calorie counting. Right now, today, in order for me to count calories, I have to enter in how many cups of food. I have to enter in what kind of food is it? Then, you know, how it's prepared. And of course, I cook a lot. Okay. How far away is it where I could just take a picture of a dish? It is going to tell me this is how many calories are in my food. I think that's pretty far away um, because I don't think you want a picture. I, I think you need, you got to have something that's upstream looking at the ingredients. I can make two things that look identical and I can put a lot of butter and a lot of sugar in it and, <laughs> and it's got more calories. So uh, I think camera is probably the wrong sensor to get at the data you want. Dang. How about, could we do it via like from raw ingredients? If I said, Hey, I'm only cooking with this amount. I you're closer. Right. Like I, I, I think it's p taking pictures of the ingredients before the cooking, as opposed to taking pictures of the prepared dish. All right. Here's another one. This is a pain. Anyone who's bought a house recently has been through this pain underwriting to get a loan. It just seems to be way too manual. How far away are we until it's like a Carvana experience where it just somehow I type in a few password authentications and it recognizes instantly how much am I qualified to purchase or how much am I qualified to borrow? So I think all of the banks are are performing that work automatically today. They have algorithms that they use to create a, a, a range. They are typically involved in, in meeting regulatory requirements. They got to fill out the paperwork on their side. So I think it's the upstream oh. folks that have to get more automatic, not the banks. They want to go as fast as you'll go. Okay. So when I have to submit three W-2s and all that stuff, but it's got to be photocopies of them. Yeah, it's their auditor. There, There's... Absolutely stuff in doc AI and other pieces where we can make it easier. I mean, Rocket Mortgage is doing miracle work here. I think basically every bank is eyeballing that product and trying to figure out how to build a clone. <laughs> All right. So this next one's back to health, right? So right now, calorie monitors, really, they're, they seem preset and calibrated for, you know, basically the weight is the only function that they have. Um, hmm. How far away are we until like our own exercise equipment can know exactly our calorie output, exactly how it's impacting blood pressure, things like that. How far away is that? Cause right now you type in a poundage, right? It's like, Oh, I'm 150 pounds. And it's just, it just gives you a blanket number. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think the, like the stuff that's really making progress is stuff like the Apple watch where you're going to have persistent wearables that are studying biomarkers to get at that information. I don't think you have to know how many times you moved a, a plate of metal up and down in a three-dimensional space to be able to see what's happening in the ketones, in the, in the bloodstream, what's happening in terms of, you know, autophage reactions in the biology. Like you're, you're definitely going to be able to see that from external sensors on the skin. Like I had the, uh, the freestyle Libre, the one you poke into your arm, right? Where you can do blood glucose on demand. And so, so like, okay, like there's no reason that that's not just years, not decades away from being persistently available data. Yeah. That, that brings me to my next one. How about, I mean, it, it sounds like this sounds close, uh, internal medicine, mm -hmm. right? Right now today, if something's wrong with us, we go, this is our process, right? We go to a doctor, the doctor checks you out, says, I don't really know what's wrong with you. You got to go get some kind of like scans of some sort. And there's mm -hmm. usually a lot of layers and then uh, typically your doctor will look at something and be like, oh, I think this is this. And then you'll have to do another scan where it's got, they all test the chemicals inside. How far away are yeah. you until like internal medicine is like more self-administered? 
Well, I mean, so four years ago, I'm I'm working with folks at a Japan MRI Institute to do automatic ML-based categorization. So they were able to beat cancer diagnoses accuracy versus human doctors fairly consistently. And that's four years ago. And like the stuff is better. So I think the first step for all of this is what you don't have is the $30 million MRI device. (laughs) So you're still going to go to the office and you're still going to stick your head in the machine. All right. Because you don't want to have a bunch of those laying around. But uh, but I think analysis accuracy and critically, because there's a bunch of like uh, they've got test studies now that are showing like something like 50 percent of women will get a false positive breast cancer diagnosis if they are consistent in mammogram testing. That is that's scary. Wild. That's scary. <laughs> like that's rough. Like, I, you know, false positives that, you know, you're talking, you know, life changing emotional reactions that you, you could be potentially doing more harm than good. So I think there's a lot where using these kind of automated tools, even as a partner with human participants is a huge deal. So if you look at the quality of Go playing, right? People playing the game Go. Yeah. And there is a steady state improvement rate of the average complexity of Go games by Go masters. Then AlphaGo builds their beat Lee Sadol, build this incredible system. I have read this. Yeah, There is now a marked improvement in the performance of human Go players because they can go try to fight with AlphaGo and they get their butts kicked and they have to figure out how to do to work better. Like, I think the collaboration between, you know, this this sort of thoughtful adversary in AI that that lets you, you know, test and, and level up your skills. I think that's going to be a pattern that plays out in a zillion industries. No, I agree, man. Humans learn. I mean, we as for as much as we don't want to acknowledge this, we just learn through repetition. Now, some people takes less yeah. reps to learn something, but we just learn through repetition. And if you're losing to like someone more dynamic, you're going to get better. You know, you were mentioned Car- Carvana earlier, mm-hmm. and I was thinking to myself, man, I wonder if there's going to be like the Carvana of medical scanning in the future, where it's like I have an MRI machine, you just book a time to come get yourself a scan, and like. No doctors involved. Sure. Like you, you, yeah. Maybe there's only a couple people to help you get this done. You walk off. AI gets. Well, you got the you got the like the one little bit with you get the one little bit with the MRI where you accidentally leave your keys in the pocket and now you have broken the thirty million dollar machine. So you're definitely going to have technicians because they are <laughs> right. Like you, you know, yeah, I don't I don't want you messing up the toys, right? But I, I do think we are looking at a, a pretty radical downward trajectory in the cost of delivery especially the sort of latency of delivery across a whole bunch of dimensions. I mean, wait a second. Keys can break the machine. Yeah. Magnetic. I did not know that. It's metal. Yeah. Don't, don't like, they're going to make you make sure you don't have a zipper in your pants. It's made out of metal. It's not okay. What about people with piercings and stuff? Yeah. Take it out. <laughs> oh, I did not know this. Yes. <laughs> or make it out of something non-magnetic, right? Bring it, make it out of nickel and you're in good shape. Gold, you're okay. But like steel plate, not so good. Man, you know something this is why I talking to, I love talking to people that are in what I would call like, I don't know, like the service industries, because you get to see so many different innovations across sure. a huge spectrum. We certainly do. Miles, it was awesome having you on the show. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all your stories. And you know what? I just love that quote. The, that is the evolution of technology. Something that's almost impossible to, to barely visible. Is that your quote or is that from something? Yeah, no, I, I wrote it. Uh <laughs> I got to ask you about your LinkedIn profile pic. So first of all, you look very different from your Twitter pic to your LinkedIn pic, but it's not because your LinkedIn pic is more professional. It's you. I don't know what instrument that is, but you got this crazy face 
uh, playing it? Are you a what, what instrument is that? And are you quite versed in this? Yeah. So um, if you're going to be a nerd, uh, go all the way. Uh, I'm, I play electric sousaphone. Um, I, I grew up playing tuba. Uh, I helped start the Sounders marching band. It's a professional marching band for a major league sport. Uh, and uh, arranged a bunch of songs for that. I was in the Husky marching band, UW marching band. I, I marched in the gay pride parade here in Palm Springs, which is spectacular. Like three other dudes in the band that are uh, you know, uh, homosexual and have like very white square plastic tubas. There's me with this bright purple blinkety synthesizer infused ridiculous <laughs> device. And I'm the straight one, right? Okay. A little weird. Uh, that uh, I played together in a couple of different bands. Uh, one of them, uh, Johnny Sonic is, is rad. Uh, Rick Kowal is the uh, lead singer and, and kind of uh, music maker. He's now a solutions architect here at SADA too. So uh, we have a little SADA band worked out. We ended up doing a cover of uh, Celebration, which is, you know, you can guess we called it Sodabration. <laughs> and uh, uh, we mixed it. We all did it recorded remote. We uh, everybody's playing on their own. Uh, we all mixed it all together. When you play our recording, Shazam thinks it's the real thing. It auto detects as celebration that's awesome yeah so so it's pretty good and we did all right <laughs> that is awesome miles you've been a great guest thanks for sharing all the things that you're doing inside i think yeah. sharing a little bit about your personal life yeah and uh you know it's awesome hearing your the way you and your company is thinking about innovation in the future i love the fact that you're saying hey there's hundreds of thousands of companies out there that need help with innovation hey if you want to move to google cloud give miles and his team a call that's what we do thanks albert thanks